So I remember it was a bright, sunny Thursday morning when I received the call from one of my youth leaders as I was serving as a youth pastor at a church out in Philadelphia. I received the news that a young girl in the youth group, a junior named Deanna, had committed suicide uh, the night before. It's been over 15 years ago. It's still pretty emotional thinking about it. She had um, uh, committed the act with a firearm uh, in her own bedroom the, the night before. I remember getting off the phone, hanging up, and I was just in utter shock. Right? I, I remember thinking, like, suicide? Deanna? Really? That evening, we had youth group, and as you can imagine, all the kids were just devastated. They were confused. They, they thought, well, I mean, we all thought, like, Deanna, she, she's so fun-loving and popular and attractive. She had such a bright future. We went through a whirlwind of emotion, of disbelief and, and shock and just feeling numb. And I remember all these questions arose, like, why did she do it? She has a loving family and friends. Later on, we discovered that she struggled with depression. Then some of her friends and even her parents would, would feel the sense of guilt, like, if only I had been a better friend, if only I had been a better parent, maybe she, would, she wouldn't have done this. And I remember one of the questions that came up over and over again was this question, Sung, do you think Deanna is in heaven? Uh, and uh, you know, to tell you the truth, uh, this is a question that we want to address in, in this series called Curious. And, and I've been surprised at how often this comes up, not only over the years of, that I've been in ministry, but also just even recently. And I think there's a couple reasons why this question gets raised. First of all, I, I think we all know people who have taken their own lives, either directly or indirectly. The fact is, 123 people every single day in the United States take their own lives. Not only that, but some of us grew up in an environment where somebody told us that if you commit suicide, that is just a one-way ticket to hell. I'm not saying that's what they communicated, but that's what you heard. And so today we want to examine this question, what does the Bible say? And so this is the question that we want to ask today. Do people who commit suicide go to heaven? Here's the answer. It depends. Let's pray. <laughs> no, that really is my answer, right? But I want to take you on a journey on how and why I would say it depends. Because in and of itself, it depends is not a satisfactory answer. And so what I want to do is I want to go through three preview questions that I think demands an answer to this question, do, do people commit suicide, go to heaven? I think we need to answer these questions before we can answer this ultimate question. And so we want to look at the Bible for some answers. So the first of the preview questions I think we just have to start off with this question. Is suicide a sin? If you look at the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, the Sixth Commandment in particular, uh, you will read these words. It says, you shall not murder. And what is suicide but the murder of the self? In fact, if you look suicide up in a law dictionary, it defines suicide as self murder. 
And if suicide, if it truly is self-murder, then you are, if you will, taking an innocent life, uh, even though the perpetrator who commits the, uh, the murder is also the victim. And so it would seem on just that alone, the Bible would consider it to be a sin. And we can look at a lot of different passages throughout the Bible that would support this claim, and we're not going to do that. But instead, what I want to do is focus in on one grand idea among many other ideas in Scripture that I think helps, will help us uh, process this idea. The fact that God alone is sovereign over life, and he is the one, only one, who determines our days. We're going to look at Psalm 139, and it's going to show how God's sovereignty intertwines with the days that we have here on earth. Follow along as we read uh, from Psalm 139. And it starts off by saying, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. And then this is the part I want to focus on. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So it's showing that long before you ever lived out the days that God had for you, they were already planned and ordained by God that you would walk in them. So when you commit suicide, you are not only forfeiting those days, you are also wearing a hat that you were never meant to wear. So there is a sense that suicide is a sin that we are not operating out of a sense of faith, that we are putting ourselves in a position that only God has. And I think most people would agree, given all things considered, that it is not a good thing to take your own life. I don't think there's much debate about that. So that, that leads us to a second preview, pre- preview question that I think is important, and that is this. What is God's response to our sin? What do you think? What is God's response to our sin? Forgiveness? Yeah, I mean, well, here's a short answer. It's not forgiveness, it's justice. And you may think, well, 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 how about forgiveness? How about mercy? How, How about grace? Isn't that what God is all about? No, it's always justice first. Now, let me just explain this idea. God forbid, if you have kids, that anything ever happens to any one of your kids. But if something did, I can promise you that you would want justice to bear upon the perpetrator more than anything else. Now, imagine going before a judge, and he says, you know what, I'm feeling especially merciful today. I'm going to forgive the perpetrator, and I'm going to let him go. How would you feel about that as a parent? I, I, I mean, if I put myself in that shoes, I, I just think, man, this is an outrage. Like, you can't just ignore the rule of law. Are you really going to let this perpetrator go and, and not, like, nobody's going to bear the punishment? This is unbelievable. Not only has somebody perpetrated against your family, but now the judge himself is ignoring the law and turning a, bl- a blind eye. You might even accuse a judge of being evil or even corrupt. Why? Because a good and lawful judge would rule based on justice. Now think about God. 
He's all the more holy, good, righteous, and perfect. And what is God's mandate? What must God's response to sin be? He must judge sin. Now, this creates a problem for us because God must bring justice to bear upon sin, which the Bible calls God's wrath. Now, we all get bent out of shape when we use that word, when we hear that word, because we suppose that God's wrath refers to this Americanized 21st century definition of the word wrath. Kind of like flying off a handle, right? That, that's wrath. Which is not what the Bible says wrath is, at least when it concerns God. Right? And let me just say it this way. God's wrath refers to what we'll define as his settled justice. Which is why when Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, he says this, the wrath of God, right? It's God's just sense of justness and righteousness is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness. Not just people, not just against people who are worse than you or who are more evil than you, but all unrighteousness. You know where that leaves us? It leaves us in a very, very bad place. Uh, if this is your first time here at Grace St. Arbor, welcome to Grace St. Arbor. Well, let's go get some ice cream, right? Now, before we get all emotionally driven about by this, can I remind you that this is what any good and lawful judge would do, right? God is not the kind of judge that is going to look the other way. Rather, biblically speaking, if you will, God lets his wrath settle on the perpetrator, or what the Bible calls sinners, now, here's a problem. Everybody says, yeah, that's the kind of judge I want until you're the one who breaks the law. There's a bird here somewhere. <laughs> and you may be thinking, wow, that bird's pretty loud here. <laughs> Anyways, distraction, back to Jesus, back to God's wrath. Okay. Um, now, you may be thinking, well, I haven't broken any laws. Right? It's not like... A, well, the Bible has a, God has a whole different set of laws and commands, right? So here's an example. I took a minute this week just to write down some, some commands or laws that we often break, right? Here's a list of a few of them. Anger, apathy, bitterness, discontentment, envy, fear, gossip, greed, indifference, jealousy. Anybody here batting a thousand, right? Yeah, one person? Uh, uh, uh. Batting a thousand, like you're perfect, right? Not batting a thousand, like we're all batting a thousand, like doing this, right? If, if, you still, if you still don't find yourself in this, right? Here's, here's more, laziness, lust, lying, materialism, overindulgence, pleasing people, pride, selfishness, workaholism, worry. God is a just God, God and has to settle justice on the perpetrator and that leaves us in a very precarious situation because someone has to pay the consequences for breaking God's law. But this also creates a predicament for God. And here it is. Because as much as God is committed to settle justice on sin, he is equally committed to demonstrate love to sinners. So, what does God the Father do? He sends his son Jesus to the earth to live among us. And what do you see Jesus doing? You know what he does on earth? When, when Jesus was on earth, he hangs out with sinners. In fact, the people he was most comfortable with hanging out with were people who knew they were messed up. Jesus didn't hang around good, religious, self-righteous people. He actually despised them. 
right? He actually called them whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. I mean, how would you like that on a Christmas card from Jesus, right? Merry Christmas. I mean, that's what he thought about religious people who thought that their religiosity would get them to heaven. Instead, he hung out with people who didn't need much convincing that they were screwed up because they knew it. And so God loves sinners, and yet he's committed to justice. So how could God remain perfectly just while showing love to sinners? And Paul answers this in his letter to the Corinthians And this, let me just say, is such a powerful verse, and we're going to kind of deconstruct this a bit. For our sake, he, meaning God the Father, made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. He does it because through Jesus, God the Father sends Jesus to live the perfect life that you and I should have lived, but we haven't, because it is only by, how do you get to heaven? Right? The only way you get to heaven is to live a life without sin. Right? And Jesus is actually the only person in the world who actually accomplished that. Right? He is the only one that lived a perfect life and actually merited heaven by his own righteousness. But rather than leaving us sinners to be condemned by God's wrath, Jesus gives up his own life, dying on the cross. And what happens when he's on the cross? All of God's wrath, his settled judgment, instead of falling on us, falls on Jesus. Why? Because somebody has to pay the consequences. So Jesus takes our place, bearing upon himself the wrath of God. And that's what Paul means when he says, for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. And then many of you know the story. Three days later, Jesus rises from the dead, conquers sin and death, so that to all who receive him, not because they think they're good, because they know they're not, because they've broken God's command, he offers us freely eternal life. Right? On the cross, Jesus takes the penalty for our sin, all of your sins, and he promises us all the merits of Jesus' righteousness. So you may be thinking, well, wait a second. So you mean the wrath of God is now satisfied because Jesus took the punishment on the cross instead of me? And he did that for me? And in return, I get the promise, I receive the promise of eternal life with God in heaven forever? Which is why Paul says, yes, that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. I don't know how that hits you, but that ought to devastate you. If you've been going to church all your life, when is the last time this good news has just ruined you? That, my friend, is the good news of Jesus. So when God sees you at the end of your life, he doesn't see all the sins that I've committed. Instead, he sees Jesus' perfect righteousness because I've placed my trust in him. And so the question was, uh, like, uh, uh, what is God's response to our sin? Justice. But he provides Jesus. Now here's the last question that we want to answer before we uh, go back to ultimately answering our original question. How much of our sins are forgiven? When somebody asks me, does a person who commits suicide go to heaven? This is not so much a suicide question as much as it is a salvation question. The question is not how bad suicide is. 
It's how powerful the cross is. Colossians chapter 2, Paul says, And you who are dead in your trespasses, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us how much? All our trespasses. And again, he goes on, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, right? Justice must be satisfied. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty for our sins. How much, did he, how much of our sins did he forgive? All of it. Now, uh, again, we have to understand this because this is so important. Here's what this means. Your past sins are forgiven. Oh, okay, I get that. Your present sins are forgiven, even the sins you struggle with today. But your future sins are also forgiven. This is the good news, right? You're not saved because you're good. You're saved because God is good. And like uh, we, we, most of us get, like, get this somehow in our heads, like, yeah, I get like God forgives the sins that I committed in the past, uh, I still I struggle a little bit like, and get tripped up with the fact that God forgives all the sins I'm, I'm, I'm committing right now. But then we get blown away like, oh, God actually forgives all the sins we are going to commit in the future. Uh, that just blows our, our mind. And we have to understand this, that while the penalty of sin may be big, the grace of God found in Christ is even bigger So let me say this really clearly. There is not one sin that will keep you out of God's kingdom. With the exception of the unforgivable sin. Which, by the way, let me be clear, is not suicide. It is not murder. It is not adultery. None of those are the unforgivable sin. This is a whole other sermon, but I'll just answer this real briefly. The only thing that will keep you outside of God's kingdom and is the unforgivable sin is unbelief in the gospel. So let me tie all this together, and hopefully you see why we had to answer these three questions before we get, came back to the question of, do people who commit suicide go to heaven? So is suicide a sin? Yes. Can God in Jesus forgive that sin? Yes. So if someone commits suicide, do they go to heaven? It depends. Look at it this way. If someone is selfish and they die, do they go to heaven? It depends. If someone commits murder and they die, do they go to heaven? It depends. If someone goes to church every single Sunday of their life, do they go to heaven? It depends. It depends on whether they've placed their faith and trust in Jesus. In other words, do they believe in the gospel, the good news, the gospel of Jesus? Or do they believe that their own good works to earn salvation, to earn their right to heaven? Let me also say this. Do you know there will not be one religious person in heaven? Not one. In fact, there's a story in, in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus says, people, came to him, people will come to him on that day, on judgment day, and they will say, Lord, Lord, did we not do all of these mighty works in your name? Did we not go to church? Did we, did we not read the Bible? Did we not like even give to the church? And he will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Why? Because they trusted in their own good works, their own religiosity. And so the gospel says that your salvation doesn't rest on you being good. It rests on God being good. 
And to answer more this question specifically, I'll say it this way. The gospel says that your salvation does not rest on you being strong. It rests on God's ability to be strong for you. So can there be a time when a believer gets so weak in faith that they do something so desperately and tragically selfish that they take their own life? Yes, it is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Yes, it is tragic. Yes, it is selfish. And the question is, will a genuine follower of Jesus in a moment of despair who kills herself, will she be in heaven? And my answer is absolutely. Why? Did she commit a bad sin? Yes. But she has a better savior. Somebody may say to me and has said, well, well, you know, she didn't confess her sin before she died, right? There's no other decisions that she can make after she, you know, she took her own life. And again, let me be clear, and this is so important, our salvation is not based on our ability to confess every sin, but Christ's ability to forgive every sin. That means the pressure is off. Can I say this? Do you know how many sins I have forgotten? Do you know how many sins that I've never confessed? I mean, I'm in dire straits of my salvation as it depends on confessing every sin that I've committed, right? Sin, as big as it is, is never bigger than the cross. And to say that suicide keeps you from heaven is saying that suicide is bigger than Jesus. You can say that, but you'd be wrong. So here's the thing. You don't need a sermon on suicide. You need a sermon about salvation. You need a sermon about Jesus. Because at the end of the day, you can either let God judge you for your sins, or you can let God judge Jesus for your sins. Those are the only two choices. God's wrath will either fall on you, and you will have to pay the punishment, or you can allow God and his wrath to fall on Jesus and let him pay for your debt and your punishment. That's the choice. That is, that, this is a heavy, emotional, personal question. But more than anything else, I, hear, I hope you hear uh, the message coming through clear and loud. That at the center of all of this, it's about Jesus. What will you do with him? Would you bow your heads, close your eyes, and pray with me?